Father, we thank you that we have been given that name by which we can be saved. It is through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, because of your great love, Father. We thank you for that. And now, as we open your word, I pray that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, and remind us how we can join with you as you desire for others to come to know you and to grow in their faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday in my sermon, I reminded you that this building is not a finish line. That we talked about how the Israelites were sent by God into the promised land, but it wasn't time for them just to break out their lawn chairs and lemonade. There was still a lot of work left to be done. And now similarly, we're in a spot here where God has given us this place. But the reason we feel that God has given us this place is so that we can be used by Him. So that we can do what God wants us to do. So what is it that God wants us to do? Well, last Sunday, we emphasized worshiping God. That's definitely something that God wants us to do, is to continue to worship Him. Today I want to look at our mission. Our mission at Cornerstone Church is that we have a passion to know Christ and we are commissioned to make Him known. And I want to focus in on that second part of our mission statement today, that part that says commission to make Him known. It's the part that reminds us that it's not just us here who should know Christ, it's everybody in the world who should know Christ and follow Him. Now all along, the, the point of our building project here was not just so that we could get a building, and again, not just so that you could have a place for your funeral when you die, but so that we could be used by God for His purposes. And His purposes are that the nations would know Him, that people would have salvation in Christ, and that they would grow in their faith. So what we want to do here at Cornerstone Church is we want to make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Christ. And to make disciples then means obviously if the people don't yet know Christ that we introduce them to Christ. That we share the gospel message of Jesus' death and his resurrection of how his life and his death paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be fully forgiven and could have eternal life. We want to give that message to people who don't yet know him. And for people who do know him, we want to come alongside of them and train them, help them, disciple them, that they might grow in their faith. In the passage we're going to look at today, the word gospel is used three times. Now the word gospel is a word, I'm sure many of you know this, it simply means good news. It's good news that Jesus died for our sins and that we can have eternal life. And because it's such good news, this news is to be proclaimed throughout the world. But the gospel isn't just... Some people have this impression that the gospel is simply the message that we give to people at the beginning of their journey. But actually the gospel message includes the the wonderful news of how God wants to continue with us in our daily walk with Him. So as we share the gospel with people, yes, we introduce them to Christ, but we also help people grow in their faith in Christ. That's what it means to make disciples. And that's what we want to be about here at Cornerstone Church. Wherever people are at, we want to help them take the next step in their journey. So now that we're here in our new building, it seems like a good time for us to investigate our methods. How do we go about this process of making disciples? And even specifically today, as as we think about next week, and we want new people to come next week and to hear about God and to hear about what we as a church have to offer them in their walk with God, It seems like a good time for us today to take a look at how are we going to do that? 
How are we going to share the gospel and help people grow in their faith? So to do that, we're going to look at a passage today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's a passage where we see the Apostle Paul's heart for making disciples. Now clearly, the Apostle Paul was a man who gave his life for making disciples. You can read about him all throughout the book of Acts. You can see what he did in spite of severe suffering to proclaim the gospel and strengthen churches. Thessalonica was one stop along the way, and it was a spot where there was a lot of suffering, a lot of persecution. Yet he made it his goal to proclaim the gospel message there. His heart was for the people there to know Jesus and to grow in their faith. And that's what my sermon is about today. And my big idea for today is that we are to spread the gospel and make disciples. That's what we're to be about. And what we want to do today is to learn specifically what God did through Paul so that it can serve as an example for us as we seek to make disciples. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 through 13. Paul wrote this letter to people that he had proclaimed the gospel to. And as a result of his ministry, a church was planted there. Now shortly after that, he was kind of booted out of town because of the persecution. But after he left then, uh, what happened was some people came in and said, oh, that, that guy, Paul, who came in, you can't trust him. He was just in it for his own fame or for money. He was in it for himself. So what Paul did, he wrote this letter in part to explain to the Thessalonians why he came and what he wanted for them. And what I want us to do by looking at this passage today is see how we can get better at spreading the gospel and making disciples. I want to read the passage now. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 through 13. It's written by Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So it's actually three people who work together and now writing this, this message. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. I have four points for you today about how we are to spread the gospel and make disciples. And the first point is that we are to do this with pure motives. With pure motives. Right away in verse 3, Paul explains his motives. And both from this passage and from the rest of what we read about Paul, it's pretty clear that his motives were simply to help people know Jesus and to grow in their faith. Now, there were plenty of people in Paul's day who had different motives. There were people in, in those days who went around giving religious messages for money. And it's not all that different in our day. You probably don't have to flip through your TV too far. Even right now, you could probably turn it on and see some preacher on TV asking for money. 
And maybe some of those are doing that with a good heart, but maybe some are doing it with the wrong motives too. But in verse 9, Paul reminded the Thessalonians that he worked hard among them so that he wouldn't be a financial burden to them. He didn't want to come to them and say, hey, now that I told you Jesus, now give me your money. He wanted to give the gospel to them free of charge. So he worked hard night and day not to be a burden. Now, I was thinking about that and thinking, well, here at Cornerstone, we, we take an offering. What's the deal with that? Well, the deal with that is, and like Dan said today, if you're visiting, you don't have to give an offering. We're not trying to get money from the people that we're trying to reach. We want to have our offering to be a time for those of us who have already come to know Christ and have already joined in this church to be a part of our worship, our giving to God. But we're not looking to gain financially from the people that we're looking to minister to, that we're looking to spread the gospel to. So as we think about where we are right now as our church and in this building project, I can assure you that our motives are simply that people would know Jesus. You see, we, we didn't purchase this building just so we could fill these chairs or just so we could get more offering. We, we purchased this building because our hope and our desire was that it would open doors for us to be able to share the gospel with lost people and help people grow in their faith. That's what we are about as a church. It's a matter of life and death for people who don't yet know him. Every single person you meet, including every single one of us in this room, is going to spend eternity in one of two places. One of those places is very good. And I look forward to seeing you there. But the other place is terribly, horribly bad. And we do not want people to go there. So my motive in what I do here as a pastor is that people would know Jesus Christ and would grow in their faith. That's what we want to be about here as a church. So let's follow Paul's example here and work hard to proclaim the gospel message to people who need to hear it. And let's help people grow in their faith as well as God puts us in their path. Paul was also talking about motive, I think, in verse 4 when he explains to us that he and his associates were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. The word approved means tested and found genuine. It's like what may happen if you can picture this in Paul's day. Somebody would, would give you a coin and you look at that coin and you have no way of telling on your own if it was a, a counterfeit or the real deal. Well, you could test that coin. I, I don't know, know exactly how they would do it. Maybe they tested the, the purity of the metal in it. But that was the point there, that, that Paul was saying that he was tested and approved. Now, who is it that, that approves us for ministry? Now, to some degree, certainly, we, would, we all know that that other people are watching us and they have their own opinions of how we do things, of how we do ministry. But ultimately, what Paul's getting at here is that it's God who tests and approves people. So then, if God is the one who tests and approves people, what is it that he's testing us for? What is it that he's looking for in us? Well, he's looking for people who he can entrust with the gospel. That's what Paul talks about in there, that he was approved to be entrusted with the gospel. You see, God could simply proclaim the gospel himself with a loud, booming voice from heaven or in dreams, and I've actually heard stories of God doing it that way, or by dropping bright neon signs down from heaven. I've never seen God do it that way. God could do it any of those ways. But I think that God's preferred method, in part, is to use people like us who already know him 
to proclaim his gospel message. So he wants us to be those approved people entrusted with this precious gospel message to take it to other people. Remember Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew, go and make disciples. You see, he wants us who know him to go out and proclaim him to others. So how do we become people who are approved, people who are entrusted with the gospel? Well, the simple answer is that we need to be disciples. We're talking about making disciples, but you can't pass on what you don't have. So really what we need to be doing is we need to be walking with Christ. We need to be listening to our own message and making sure that we're applying it in our own hearts. Walking with Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we need to have the whole book of Jeremiah memorized before we can you know, share the gospel with somebody else. It's not this, you know, get to this certain level of spirituality, then you can share. Actually, I think the way that the Great Commission could better be translated is, as you are going, make disciples. So it's this process for all of us that we follow Christ. We treat him as our highest goal. And as we're doing that, then we look around us and see who it is that God would have us influence. We're to do this with pure motives. Not for ourselves, not for money, not for fame, not even just to fill up a church building. Although I do think that a healthy byproduct of making disciples is that it's growth in numbers, but we don't do it for that purpose. We do it, as Paul said, to please God. We do it for His glory. Paul saw himself as a servant of the gospel, entrusted with it. May we likewise see ourselves as servants, giving ourselves to this work, this hard work of spreading the gospel and making disciples. So that was my first point. My second point is that we are to spread the gospel and make disciples like a mother. I want to reread for you, starting in the middle of verse 6 through 8. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Now again, happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. And isn't it awesome in this passage that the Apostle Paul was willing to compare himself to a nursing mother? And actually, he's just taking his cues from God here. Because in the Old Testament, God used both motherly and fatherly language to describe to us who he is. In our passage today, Paul compares himself to a mother who cares. And that word for caring could also be translated as cherishing. And you think about how a a mother cherishes that newborn baby of hers. And that's one of the highlights of my life, I think, is is being in the hospital with, with each of our three children after they were born and just cherishing that newborn child. And that's how Paul said he went about his ministry of spreading the gospel and making disciples. He said he was gentle, too, like a mother. Oftentimes, and rightly so, we we think of our mothers as as a gentle parent. Not that fathers aren't gentle, but sometimes there's something about a mother. And I remember a a story of this from my life. I was about six or seven years old, and uh, there were a bunch of us neighborhood kids, and I was kind of the youngest, and my brother was kind of the oldest, and there were a bunch of us in between. We were having bike races one day, and we were starting out on our driveway, and our driveway sloped down, and we were going to turn to the right and turn to the right again and, and head around and come back. And I remember I was in one of these races with an older kid next to me, and I was going to show this older kid that I could bike just as fast as he could. So, so we got off, and, and we were going down the driveway, and we had turned right, and I was, 
looking at my opponent, you know, exactly what they tell you not to do in a race, but I was keeping my eye on my opponent, so much so that I didn't see a parked car right in front of me. And, and I hit that parked car, and I think I flipped over the handlebars, and I don't remember all that happened. I'm sure I got a bloody nose, because I always get those. And, uh, I think there was also skin knees and things like that. And fortunately, we're at my house, so I just went running into my house, and I was so glad to see my mother there. <laughs> you know, I'm sure my dad could have taken care of me. Nothing, nothing against him there, but I was just so glad to see my mom and taking me into the bathroom and, and cleaning my cuts. And sometimes you just need your mother because there's that gentleness, there's that care and concern there that we all know about. Now, why did Paul compare himself to a mother here? Well, it's because he wanted to convey these ideas in verse 8 of loving the people and being delighted with them, being delighted with these people who had become so dear to him. See, for Paul, it wasn't just a matter of coming into town and dumping off the gospel and then leaving and saying, there, give you what you need. For Paul, it was a matter of knowing and loving and caring for these people. He cared for them that he was delighted to share with them not only the gospel, but his life as well. In Galatians 4.19, he compared his work of making disciples to the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's how Paul saw his work. Deeply caring for the people he was trying to minister to. Reminds me of someone else who poured out his life for us. Jesus. You see, Jesus set the example for how we should minister to others. He came down to our level and deeply cared for us so that he could teach us what we desperately needed to know. This is why the famous English pastor John Stott said, We all need to cultivate more in our personal ministry of the gentleness, love, and self-sacrifice of a mother. Okay, you manly men out there, let's be like mothers, gentle, caring, as we help people know Jesus and grow in their faith. We are not taskmasters. We aren't even just teachers. We are called to care and to love the people that we serve. How will people best hear the gospel from us? If it's accompanied by a life of love. Have you ever noticed that you most likely will not listen to the words of a song if you don't like the music? Why, why would you even care what the song says if you don't like the music? May our lives be like that good music, that melodious tune, so that people will listen to our message. We want those we share with to know we care. Now, I care about people. I care about all of you. I care about the people of Fergus Falls and the surrounding areas. Because I care, I want what's best for them. And what's best for them is that they would know Jesus Christ, come to know him as Savior, and live their whole lives for him, following him as Lord. I know that's what's best for every single person. I know that's what they need. So what we seek to do then is to teach them that message by showing them that we care. As we love them, we teach them that message. Now one of the things I love about Cornerstone as a church family is I feel like we get this love thing pretty well. I feel like we do a good job of caring for each other. Let's continue that. Both inside our walls here, I was going to say our four walls, but we kind of have a weird shaped wall here, so it's kind of five walls. But, uh, 
Let's care for each other and let's also care for those people that God puts in our path, for those people that will come to join us and for your neighbors and your co-workers as well. Let's care for them so that we can give them the gospel message. Okay, then my third point today. We are to spread the gospel and make disciples like a father. So happy fathers day. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I want to reread verses 10 through 12. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Fathers are to set an example for their children. Now, Paul wrote these words in a day and age where so often the, the son would take on the business of the father. So if the father was a farmer, the son would become a father. If the father was a baker, the son would become a baker. And as such, the father would teach everything that he knew to his child so that he could take over for him. Now, specifically, Paul here compares himself to a father in three ways. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. So sometimes a father is to be an encourager, to say to his son, job well done, son, way to go. Be the biggest fan of our kids. And sometimes a father is to comfort his children, to remind them if they fall down to get up and keep going. Come on, you can do this. And other times a father needs to take the role of urging or challenging or even disciplining his child. The word for urging here in verse 12 really means insisting. Paul insisted that the Thessalonians walk rightly with God. Again, sometimes a father needs to step in and correct his children when they go astray. A good father doesn't just simply let his kids walk off the path. A good father instructs and trains his children. And again, Jesus set the example here. He loved those he ministered to, but he also called them to a high standard. He also called people to flee from sin and to pursue righteousness and holiness. So likewise, as we try to make disciples, we are to insist that people walk rightly with the Lord. Now, we're talking about making disciples. We're talking about getting involved in the lives of other people. And when you do that, it gets messy. We human beings are messy people and sometimes our sin and our weakness and our failures get in the way. And as you seek to share the gospel and make disciples with other people, you are going to notice the mess of other people's lives. And we could just you know, throw ourselves back and say, well, fine, I, I don't want to deal with that. But I think what we should do, and I think what we're called to do here, is to get involved in the lives of these people and encourage and comfort and urge them to live lives rightly with God. Now, one other note from these verses. Uh, Paul makes mention in verse 10 of his reputation of being holy and righteous and blameless. Now, I don't think what he's saying here is that he was perfect and never messed up, and nor should we expect that we will be perfect or never mess up. But I think what he was saying there is, you saw how I lived among you. You saw how I set the example for you. And now I want you to go and do likewise. And it reminds me, again, that if we want to make disciples, we have to be disciples. So let's, let's watch our lives closely, walking rightly with God, because we can't pass on what we don't have. Okay, and then my fourth point today is that we are to spread the gospel and make disciples by proclaiming God's word. By proclaiming God's word. Verse 13, 
And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Now from this verse, we see a couple of important things. One, we see that Paul's message was the word of God. And two, we see that the people received the message as the word of God. In Romans 10:17, it says, Faith comes from hearing the message. So if we want people to know Jesus and to grow in their faith, what do we need to give them? God's word. God's message. We are to share our lives with others. That's what we've been learning from these verses so far from this passage. And as we share our lives with them, what we are to give them, the content of our message, is to be God's word. Then the word of God produces spiritual life in the people that we're ministering to. You see, God's word is at work in us who believe. Look at what, what Paul believed about God's word in verse 5. He talked about how the gospel came to the Thessalonians. Excuse, this is chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. For Paul, as he gave this word, God's word, to the people, he saw its powerful effect. Jesus prayed for us that we would all be made holy by the truth and he went on to say, God, your word is truth. So we are to let God's word have its place in our lives but then also in our ministry. We don't just try to train people how to have better lives. We train people how to live according to God's word. What a privilege it is when we see people embrace God's word. I've had the privilege of seeing this and it just it transforms a person's life when they go from directing their own lives to submitting to God, knowing Christ, and letting God's word direct their lives, it changes them. And I hope and pray that you get the, the opportunity to see that in people's lives. I, was, I saw this illustrated in a, uh, a video I watched this week. George Townsend gave me... Where, where is George here? George, thank you for that video. We watched the John Wycliffe video. It was, it's, a, it's a movie about this hero of the faith, John Wycliffe, who lived several hundred years ago. He lived in a time in England when the Church of England, for some reason, thought it best that the Word of God not be translated into the common language and, and not be given to the people. It, it's kind of mind-boggling to think why anybody would think that that was better. But that's the circumstances in which he lived. Now, he was committed to the Word of God, and he was training up younger pastors to give the Word of God to other people. And in this movie, they, there were a couple of scenes where he was walking around and people would come up to him and they would just be despondent. They heard lies about what some people were teaching. And, um, and, and John Wycliffe would just share scripture with them. And, and in one of these scenes, one of the younger pastors said to John Wycliffe after this, he said, people come to you and they're broken, they're despondent, and you, with a mere word, can change their whole countenance. How do you do that? And John Wycliffe's answer was simply, I give them scripture. It's the word of God that has the power to change us. Well, now it's our turn. How do we proclaim the word of God? How do we do that as a church and as individuals? A few things about us as a church. We are committed to the word of God. And specifically, if you'll stick around with us, how you will see that lived out, you'll see it lived out in our small groups. Our, now, our small groups are ending right around now. We usually take the summer off, but again in the fall, we'll start up our small groups, and I highly encourage you to be a part of those, because at our small groups, we open up God's Word together, 
and we teach each other and we look and say, God, what do you want us to hear? And it's, it's a time for us to wrestle with the scriptures together and let them have their intended impact in our lives. You'll also notice at Cornerstone Church that our sermons are based on God's word. We don't just preach our own ideas here. That's not my desire. And if I ever stray from preaching God's word, I want you to let me know about it. Because that's what we're about here at Cornerstone Church. Also in our Sunday school classes, both for the kids and for the adults, we are committed to having God's word be what we teach. And then if I can take just a little more personal tack on this, I often urge you all, privately, personally, to be opening up God's Word. I, even, I urge you daily to be getting into that habit of reading God's Word, letting God speak to you His truth into your life for the purpose of sanctification and you being made holy. And then one other thing I just wanted to add on this. Uh, family devotions. And this is maybe for those of you with kids, especially younger kids. But to have a time set together as a family where you open up God's Word. We've been getting in the habit of doing this every night around bedtime. We open up the Word with our kids. And it's been a really sweet time for me to see my kids embracing God's Word. And what we're doing simply as parents is setting the example. This is how we live our lives. This is what we base our lives on. We are to spread the gospel and make disciples. My four points today are that we are to do this with pure motives. We're to do it like a loving mother, like a father who trains his children, and by proclaiming the word of God. The Apostle Paul set a great example, and really he was just following the example of Christ who based his ministry on the word of God and made disciples. And I want to conclude now by just looking at two other verses that show us the heart of Paul in making disciples. 2 Timothy 2.2. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You can see four links in a the chain there. It says, it's Paul to Timothy saying, Timothy, I've taught you. Now, Timothy, I want you to teach others, and I want those others you teach to be able to teach others. Four links in a chain there. And, and what I would submit to you is that all of us who know Christ are here in some part because of that chain. That there have been faithful people throughout the generations who have given the word of Christ and now it's our turn. Let's not be the weak link in that chain. Let's gladly step up to the plate now. It's our turn. Let's spread the gospel and make disciples. And then 1 Thessalonians 1.6. Paul says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Now why doesn't Paul just say that they became imitators of the Lord? Why does he include himself in that? Is it arrogance? I don't think so. I think it's just Paul taking a realistic look at things and realizing that ultimately the goal is that people would become followers of the Lord, but in order for that to happen, sometimes they need to see an example lived out right in front of them. And my brothers and sisters, let me tell you, that's our job. We are to set an example for those around us. We are to walk with Christ. And as we do that, then, we are to make disciples. We are to spread the gospel and help people grow in their faith. 
So as we're doing that, as we're walking with the Lord, let's look around us. Let's be praying, God, who is it that you would have me share the gospel with? God, who is it that you would have me put my arm around them and say, hey, I'd like to help you grow in your faith? Who is it, God, that you would have me invite to church or to small group? Or who is it you'd have me invite out to dinner so I can just talk with them and get to know them a little bit better? This is what I want us to be about as a church. Walking with Christ, helping other people know Christ and grow in their faith. Now, these are exciting times for us at Cornerstone Church. Isn't it fun to be here in this building, our own worship space? And as we look ahead to next week, our grand opening, do you see the sign on the window there? Grand opening next Sunday, May 19th, 10 a.m. I hope that there are lots of new people here that come checking us out. And and who knows why some of them might come to check us out. Maybe it's just to see the building. You know, I, I heard that Rotary used to meet here. Maybe some Rotarians will come in and just see how it is. But I hope that people come here wanting to know the Lord and that we, as a church, do our job to share the gospel with them and help them grow in their faith. I hope that happens for you with your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, your family members. These are exciting times for us as a church, but let's make sure we're doing what God wants us to do. And what God wants us to do is to spread the gospel and make disciples. Will you please, please pray with me? Father, thank you for drawing us to Jesus. That we heard the gospel. Thank you for the the power, the impact it's had in our lives. And now, God, as we walk with you, I pray that we would spread the gospel and make disciples. I pray that you would strengthen each one of us for that task. And I realize, God, that for many in this room, it's a scary thought. But God, I pray that we would realize that this is your work. And that we would join with you. That we would do our part to speak words of truth, to love people, to care for them, to invite them to church, to share your gospel message, to help them grow in their faith. So God, right here and now, we give ourselves to you. Would you use us for the purpose of spreading the gospel and making disciples? And may it be only for your glory, God. May we not do it to please ourselves, but to please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.